Lord, as we come to communion today, I pray that you would use your word to help us understand you and understand your sacraments. We pray this in your name. Amen. As you know, my wife is Chinese-American, and in Chinese culture, meals are very, very big deals. Problem is, the first time I met Christina's mother, it was for a dinner, and no one I didn't really know about this cultural detail. So I was there and I wanted to make a good impression, so I complimented the food. I I asked for seconds, but apparently I didn't eat enough because when the evening was over, Christina's mother looked at me and her, her, looked at me and her only comment was, hmm, he's just a medium eater. (laughs) That was it. My full on charm offensive yielded me nothing more than the rank of medium eater. And, And had I known that my suitability as a potential mate for her daughter would be measured solely by volume of food consumed, I easily could have accommodated. I can eat a whole lot. Meals in a lot of cultures, including in Jesus' day, are very significant. And many of the significant moments in Jesus' ministry happen around meals, which is why we're doing this sermon series called Dinners with Jesus. And in his book, The Life of the Beloved, Henri Nouwen notes that in the two stories that we just read about the feeding of the 5,000 and the Last Supper, in those two meals, Jesus does four things with the bread. He takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it away. And you're going to hear those four words in a minute when we celebrate communion. And those four verbs, chosen, blessed, broken, and given away, describe our lives as followers of Jesus. And they have implications for how we live live our lives. The first thing Jesus does is he takes the bread, or, or a better word might be he chooses it. We are chosen by God. And that is one of the best feelings in the world, isn't it, to be chosen? I mean, remember when you were in elementary school and you'd be choosing up teams for a sport, and it was always exciting to be chosen, especially if you were chosen first, so I've been told. And what the Bible tells us over and over again is that before the foundations of the world were in place, God chose us to be with him. We are chosen. Tony Campolo puts it this way. When you were conceived, there were 40 million or so sperm racing to one egg, and the one that made you got there first. Congratulations, you're a winner. God could have made someone else. He could have put some other combination of DNA together. But he made you. We are chosen. And that is good news in a world where we often feel the opposite of chosen. We feel rejected. The other day I was in the grocery store and there was a man and he he waved at me and I I didn't recognize him, but I figured he was one of you, so (laughs) I waved back. But then he waved more vigorously like I didn't see him, so I waved more vigorously. And then I realized he was waving to the guy behind me. They're both looking at me like I was an idiot. I was not chosen. Whether it's parents that didn't want us, or peers who have rejected us, or a marriage that's gone south, or jobs that we didn't get, some point in life we feel rejected. But there are no unwanted children in God's kingdom. You were planned. Eons ago, when God was creating the cosmos, he got it all done in his mind, and he said, wait, wait, 
something's missing. Oh, oh yeah, I need Dudley. I need Dudley for my universe to be complete. I need a Dudley. And who doesn't really, right? I mean, <laughs> I have a purpose for him. There's a church in Bellevue that he needs to go to and hopefully won't mess up, right? And he says that about you too. He says, my world will not be complete without fill in your name. And he says, I have a purpose for fill in your name. There's a song in the musical Hair, which I know is a problematical musical and want to assure you I do not get my theology from it. But there's a song in it sung by a guy named Claude. And he says, my name is Claude and I believe in God. And I believe that God believes in Claude. That's me. Do you believe that God believes in you? That even though we sin and even though we mess up, God knows our potential. And he believes in us. And he has a purpose for us. And when we experience our chosenness, it undoes the nagging insecurity inside. And all those memories of being rejected. And it gives us a fundamental confidence that we belong. So when we feel rejected, this week, if you ever feel unchosen, we need to unmask the lie our culture tells us that we are not chosen and remind ourselves that all, out of all the possible people God could have made, He made you. We are chosen people. We're also blessed. In these stories, Jesus blesses the bread. And the Greek word that is used for bless can mean a couple of things. It can mean to give thanks for, which Jesus does. But it also means to bestow a blessing on someone, to give them something good. And that's what God does for all of us. He blesses us with good things, a relationship with Him. I mean, even right now, God is busy at the edges of the cosmos, still creating. And yet in all of that, He listens to you and He listens to me. He blesses us by coming Himself in the person of Jesus to initiate a relationship with us. He blesses us with good gifts like friendships and families and opportunities that we've had in life. But not only that, God also blesses us with unique skills and gifts and personality traits that belong only to us. And He affirms those things in us. The other thing the word bless can mean is to say good things about someone. God says good things about you. Like you're compassionate or you're courageous, or you're generous, or whatever traits He has put inside of you. He affirms those things in you and in me. There's a pastor I knew in, in seminary who, who came from a bit of a wild background. His wife was into the drug scene for a while, and he says he remembers at one point her chasing a drug dealer through their living room with an ice pick. It was just chaos. And in the middle of all of this mess, he became a follower of Jesus, and eventually his wife did too and got out of the drug scene. But he still had this past. And so when he was in church circles and he'd tell people about his past, everyone would look sort of horrified. And because of his background, he had a lot of compassion for people like drug dealers. But in the churches that he was part of, that didn't go over very well. Well, one day he was talking to a pastor about this crazy life he'd had. And he said, you know, I just don't fit in church. I, I'm, just, I'm just weird. And the pastor said, no, not really. No, you have the spiritual gift of coloring outside the lines. What a great way to put it, right? I didn't even know that was a spiritual gift. I'm sure I have it, though. Coloring outside the lines. And then the pastor said, and we could use a man like that, and he hired the guy to be a pastor. And as a young seminarian, that guy was one of my favorite pastors 
Because he did crazy things like help drug dealers know Jesus. And he broke my image of what a typical pastor was supposed to be like. Through that pastor that said, you've got the gift of coloring outside the lines. God spoke a blessing into his life. He said, this is who you are. And he does that for each one of us. This is who you are. And it's good. We're blessed. And the way we can connect with those blessings is through prayer. Where the Holy Spirit can remind us of what God has given us. And we can do that by reading the Bible and inserting our name wherever God makes a promise so that we can remind ourselves of the blessings God gives us. We are blessed. But we're not just blessed to kind of hang on to them. We're blessed to be a blessing to other people. And when we really begin to understand how much we're blessed in one way or the other, it's not, we're not all blessed the same way. It's not all financial. It's not, but we're blessed with something. And when we all understand how much we're blessed, we begin to give those blessings away. When I was a little kid and, and my mom used to have a party at our house and, you know, she'd always make some kind of nice dessert for the guests. But often she would make a, a second batch for us. And she, you know, whether it was a cake or a pie, she'd make a second one and put it in the freezer. And we knew that as kids. So when we watched the guests at our house munching down on the desserts, we'd say, have more. You know, eat some more. Because we knew we were richly stocked in desserts in the freezer. Right? We were blessed with desserts. We had them coming out our ears. So we said, here, have some more. When we really get how much God has given us, we start to give our blessings away. Problem is, though, we don't always know how much we've been blessed. Or we don't recognize it. We look at what we don't have instead of what we do have. Or we think there are not enough blessings to go around. And, and so we start to hoard our blessings to ourselves. Just this week, I read an excerpt from a book called Death Warmed Over, and it's a combination cookbook and sociological study of funeral meals and rituals. That's right. Someone wrote that book. <laughs> it's never been written before, I'm quite sure. And, and the author starts the story, starts the book with a story. I don't know if it's true or not, but, but she starts with this kind of humorous story about a man who was dying at home, and, and his wife was baking chocolate chip cookies one day, and he could smell it, and he wanted some cookies before he died, I guess, and, and wouldn't you, right? And so he kind of drags himself out of bed and hobbles into the kitchen and he reaches out and grabs a cookie and, and then his wife smacked his hand with a spatula and said, put that down, they're for the funeral. <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not, but... What, what a great example of what happens. You're wondering where I'm going to go with that, right? What happens when we don't really know how much God has blessed us? We kind of hoard it, right? We kind of hang on to it. We don't give it away. But as anyone who has given money away or a listening ear or a friendship away, anyone who's done that will tell you, the more we give away, the more God seems to give us. The more people I care for, for instance, the more people I seem to have in my life, the more love I seem to have, the more, the more I have. And that's what happens in the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It is not until they start to give the bread away that they realize how much they have. It is not until we begin to give the things God has given us away that we begin to realize just how much we have. So if you're not feeling blessed, ironically, the way to get over that is to start giving it away. Chosen, blessed. The third thing Jesus does with the bread is he breaks it. We're broken people. 
We get broken by our sin, other people's sin. We also get broken by life when relationships blow up or we lose the job or our health or whatever. Now, God does not cause brokenness and suffering, but God does heal us from it, and he brings good things out of it, which means that we do not have to avoid pain. We do not have to avoid brokenness, because wherever pain is, there is Jesus. Wherever pain is, there is Jesus. We serve a God who hung out with lepers and prostitutes and hurting people. I mean, Jesus just has a thing for brokenness. He moves towards it. Where there is pain, there is Jesus. And we will never fully know Jesus. We will never fully experience his power unless we move toward our own brokenness and the brokenness in others and in the world. Because God is at his best in brokenness. And this is what makes Jesus different than every other religion. It's one of the reasons that I am a Christian and not anything else. Because only in Jesus do we see, only in the cross and resurrection, do we see that God moves into pain and brings hope and life out of it. That's what Easter is all about. The best thing can become the worst thing. But you know what? The problem is often here in the Burbs, we don't experience that, do we? Because we tend to avoid pain, myself included. You know, we live in a Tylenol culture where the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain, it defines our lives. But the result is that we don't experience the full power of God, which shows up best in places of brokenness. Does worship seem routine and boring? Does prayer seem like a meaningless exercise? Does Jesus seem like just an ethereal abstraction rather than a presence so real you can touch him? It's probably because you're avoiding some kind of pain in yourself or the pain of others. Jesus, and I do that too, Jesus becomes most real in brokenness. Now, I want to be clear. I think it's especially important in our therapeutic culture to be clear about this. I am not suggesting that we should sort of wallow around in our brokenness. You know, I'm so broken. Guess I'll go on Oprah and tell everyone about it, right? No. As Christians, we are defined by our cure, not our sickness. But we can move toward pain in confidence, knowing that God will, bring, will heal us and bring good out of it. As I've said to you before, most important place where God met me. Everything I learned about being a pastor, I did not learn in seminary. I learned through my divorce. Because then all that head knowledge that I had about sin and grace and forgiveness, it all had to become heart knowledge. And, 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 and God met me in that place. And he also taught me compassion for other people's pain. God brings good things out of brokenness. And when he does, he becomes more real to us. And here's the great thing. He can use our brokenness to help other people. In the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and the Last Supper, it's not until the bread is broken that it can be distributed and given away to help other people. It's out of our brokenness that we can help others. The former alcoholic can help a current addict recover. The person who's gone through a divorce can offer comfort to someone who's going through one. So this week... Don't avoid pain and brokenness, your own or other people's. Move toward it, not to wallow in it, not to stay there, but so God can redeem it and use it. Chosen, blessed, broken. And the last thing Jesus does with the bread is he gives it away. We are chosen for a purpose. We are blessed to be a blessing. God brings good things out of our brokenness. And when we experience all of that, then we have the confidence to give ourselves away in service to others, which is what we were designed to do. 
Now, we're not always sure we want to do that, are we? Not always sure we want to be given away in service to the world. I mean, I love what the disciples say in this story when they see the hungry crowds. You know, being the spiritual giants that they are, they say, Jesus, send them away. Right? There's leadership. Right? Ministry would be great if it just weren't for the people. Send them away. Ever feel that way? Send them away. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't. Send them away. And then Jesus says this shocking thing. You give them something to eat. You can kind of see the disciples going. And Jesus goes, yeah, you. You give them something to eat. And the reason Jesus says that is not to make them miserable or feel guilty or put a burden on them. The reason Jesus does that is because he knows that real joy is found in giving ourselves away. We were not designed to consume. We were designed to give ourselves away in service to others. And if we don't do that, if we're not a part of what God is doing in the world, we're going to feel bored and restless and frustrated, always moving on to the next vacation, the bigger house, whatever, to give our lives meaning. We'll be like a brand new Porsche that never gets out of the garage. You know, we're going to feel trapped like we're not doing what we were designed to do. And one of the things I just love about all of you is you guys do this so well. I'm preaching to the choir, you guys, right? Whether it's teaching Sunday school so our kids can know Jesus or giving yourselves away at Kid Reach or Auto Angels or something like that, you guys give yourselves away. I attended a conference this week with a nationally known speaker named John Perkins. He's in Seattle for a couple of months and he visited the Jubilee Reach Center a couple of weeks ago and he was very excited by, by what he saw there. And during the conference, we were talking about the problems of poverty and racism in our culture. But several times he pointed at me and he said, but his church, his church is out there doing it. His church is bringing hope to the world. Man, you guys make me look good at conferences. Man. And it doesn't have to be a huge thing that we do either in the story of the, the, in this story, the 5,000 people, you know, they just missed, missed lunch. That's it. You know, they're grumpy. They're not starving to death. Nobody is asking us to end world hunger or solve the problems in the Middle East. That's up to God. We're asked to meet a few needs of those right in front of us. Coworker who needs a listening ear, child who needs a Sunday school teacher. And we don't have to have a lot to give either. I mean, sometimes we look at the need and we think, I can't make a difference. I, I don't have enough education or whatever. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough whatever. And that's how the disciples felt. Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? They go, oh, not many, for 5,000 people. You know, I love what they say in another version of this story. They go, what are these amongst so many? You know, must have been accountants, right? <laughs> Apologies to accountants. Politicians? So anyway, what are these amongst so many? Maybe we should form a committee to study it, right? But what they discover is that all we need to do is bring whatever it is we have and give it to Jesus, and he'll bless it and multiply it and use it to feed others. And when we do, like the disciples in this story, we have abundance, baskets of joy left over. I mean, how do you think the disciples felt at the end of this day? I mean, it, they must have been pretty pumped, don't you think? That was cool, Jesus. Let's do it again. There's a woman I know named Lovey Lewis. She lives in East Palo Alto, California, which is a very impoverished community. She doesn't have a lot of money. She works at the laundry at, at Stanford. But Lovey has a strong relationship with Jesus. She knows that she is a great sinner, 
but that Christ is an even greater Savior. And for that, she's thankful. Well, one day she was sitting in the beauty parlor, sitting under the hairdryer, actually, and a voice went off in her head and it said, feed my sheep. She decided that was God, because only God would talk to a woman while she's sitting under a hairdryer, right? (laughs) Well, she didn't have a lot of money, but she took what little she had and she made as many meals for as many homeless people as she could afford. And she went out on the streets and began to distribute the food. Well, she did this for a year or so, and eventually other people started to join her, and they gave her money to help, and and it grew into a soup kitchen called Bread of Life that now feeds dozens of people a day. How many loaves did Lovey Lewis have? Not many. But God took what she gave him, multiplied it, and people saw the love of God at work through her. And for her, God became more real. God showed up. God multiplied what she had. And the thing about Levy, everyone who knows her, I mean, she's always smiling, always laughing. She is just a hoot to be around. She's got a lot of joy. And she is appropriately named Lovey. Lovey knows that she is chosen by God. He loved her enough to talk to her while she was sitting under a hairdryer. That's a lot of love. And even though she's poor, she knows the blessings she has. Relationship with God, friendships, enough money to feed a few other people than herself. And she certainly knows that she's broken by her own sins, by other people's sins, as well as by poverty and racism. But in that brokenness, God met her, and out of her brokenness, he began to help other people. And she is being given away to the world and having the time of her life doing it. Chosen, blessed, broken, and given away. That describes the life of a follower of Christ. So this week... Will you unmask the lies that tell you that you are not chosen? And through prayer, hear God say to you, I choose you for a purpose. And will you remember your blessings by reading scripture and claiming God's promises? And will you let God into your brokenness through prayer? And will you at least pray for the brokenness of at least one other person? And then will you be given away in service to others? And God will take what we give him, bless it, multiply it, and use it to care for all kinds of people, and we'll have baskets of joy left over. Lord, thank you that you choose us. Thank you that you bless us. Thank you for healing us in our brokenness, and thank you for giving us away. In your name, amen.